0: How good does that sound? That is the sweet sound of an escape to the bush. Welcome. You're listening to the Bush Wanderlust podcast with hosts Ali Smith and Katie Watson. Buckle in as these two birds from the bush take you on a road trip around the Narrabri region in northwest New South Wales. Ali and Katie will introduce you to the lovable locals.
1: Everyone is really down to earth and so welcoming.
0: Just call in and enjoy yourself. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. And explore all the magnificent wonders right here in Australia's backyard. He's, He's a big sucker, 10 to 15 centimetres long and bright pink. They're just a fascinating animal, you know. Who would put a pink slug on top of a mountain? As the locals say, just you, 5 million stars, a mountain range and a yowie, it's time to hit the road.
2: On today's podcast, Ali and I are giving you a little taste of a treat found at the foothills of Mount Capita. Only a short drive from Narrabri we are visiting and sampling the spirits from the charming Black Snake Distillery.
3: Black Snake brings a Mexican flavour to the Narrabri region, producing its very own mezcal-style spirit, And it's made from the agave plants grown in the backyard of local distillers Stephen Beale and Rosemary Smith. There's no doubt this local couple is taking the boutique booze world by storm with this delicious drop. And they're even challenging the Mexicans at their own game. Of course, we suggest responsible consumption of this delightful paddock to bottle experience.
2: Welcome, Stephen and Rosemary. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we start, we'll have a little
3: sip. Delicious. Mm. Very refreshing. On a Sunday morning, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of hair of the dog for you, Ali.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's great. Thank you. Let's start with when and how did the concept for Black Snake come about? Have you both always loved craft
0: spirits? I don't think it was really a a thing on our horizon like four or five years ago. It, it was. We'd certainly liked uh, spirits, certain spirits. Rosemary, I think, a bit of a scotch drinker. Addict. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say addict, <laughs> but she likes scotch, and uh, strained me in scotch, I think. But that was seen as we, we sort of came to the idea when a um, few few things happened, like a. Uh, One of our family members was in Mexico and talking about the spirit, not just the spirit itself, but the culture of the Mezcal, the whole Mezcal spirit culture was great. And um, we came back to looking at what the opportunities were here because our climate has has some similarities. Well, obviously there's various climates as well in Mexico as there are in Australia. But our, our area, we had one particular plant growing, an agave, that they used, one of the ones they used in Mexico for for mezcal. And so we started to explore the options of that. And this is now probably getting on almost four years ago now. In Mexico, mezcal is not just a drink. It's there's a whole in a way, it's sort of a way of life because it's still very much the village-based production of of the spirit, and it's very much the artisan style of mezcal. Tequila, we all perhaps know about tequila, as I said, my usual dad joke, which I've done a thousand times is we know we've drunk it. We just can't remember it. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. It's an oldie, but I like it. Um, Tequila's been around legally for a bit longer than Mezcal, but tequila is a Mezcal, but it tends to be more industrial, whereas Mezcal generally is much more, as I said, the village-based process. There's a Mezcalero that does it, as it takes pride in their work, and there's... Yeah, there's a whole you think about a Mexican village and what that really means. When you look at the industrial type things in Australia, it's absolutely nothing like that. So and that's sort of that whole idea was was a great thing to to try to see if we can do something similar. It's not the same, of course, because we're in Australia and there's different things, but we do try to follow their traditions where we can.
3: What do you call you called the mezcal
0: Mescalero is mescalero. just the, the person who makes it mezcalero. As a man, Mezcalera would be a woman.
3: Fabulous name. Mescalera, yes. And
0: that's a palenca. We also, palenca, we also mentioned, which is, I don't know if we said it before. This just means clearing. And that's where they actually do it. Make the mezcal. It's like the, the room or the shed or whatever where they do the distillation and the fermentation and so on. And basically it means clearing. And we think it's because historically mezcal was made illegal by the Spanish. I'm not sure when, but many, many years. Obviously, not straight away because it had established a tradition, but then they made it illegal so they could sell them their own wines from Europe. And I think the idea of the palenka, the clearing, I think it's just like a clearing in the hill somewhere so you can see the feds coming.
1: If, and they can clear, out. <laughs> can it clear is, out. That is actually true. That's why it's a palenka, so they can move yeah, it quickly.
0: But, but palenka basically wow. is what they do the distillation and stuff for. But the actual meaning of the word is clearing.
3: So much history and story. Well, five hundred years. Five
0: hundred years they've been doing. It. Now, obviously, there's longer, longer histories in in other places, but from the date distillation was brought into the Central American areas is where the tradition starts. So you know, over five hundred years.
3: So mezcal, though you can't, Rosemary, I should ask, like champagne, exclusively belongs to the French the term mezcal is something that we can't really use.
1: Is that correct? That is correct. And even in Mexico, the term mezcal can only be used in certain areas of denomination and they have to fill a certain criteria. And outside those borders, even the Mexicans can't call it mezcal. It has to be called agave spirit. It's a denomination of origin ruling. Sounds very complex. I know that's fair enough. A lot
3: to think about while you're drinking.
0: <laughs> well, as you as you said, like champagne, it's they they sort of because it has cultural significance and so on. they there's the rule that has been adopted and signed up to very various people. And as Rosemary said, even in Mexico, so mezcal is the main thing. But in other areas where they produce things like raicilla uh, and bacanora, which is actually the exactly the same, but they can't call it mezcal. And, so, and there's actually been the odd denomination of origin for some of those names too. So it's, it's quite an interesting thing in Mexico how they do that.
2: I can hear the passion when you talk about <laughs> the different varieties. So what do you call your spirit?
0: Well, because we're Black Snake Distillery and it's an agave spirit, we called it asp. Agave, spirit, as you can see, the little, not maybe that clever, but I, I quite liked it uh, and I think rosemary. Doesn't mind it, got yeah. used to it. She's not a fan of snakes. but
3: uh, <laughs> Me neither. Is anyone a fan of snakes?
0: <laughs> there are a few out there. I don't mind snakes.
3: <laughs> Tell me more about this, shouldn't say magical, but treasured plant that you mm. discovered was grown in Mexico and could be grown here in our yeah. own backyard, really. Yeah.
1: Well, the agave plant that we use is agave americana and it's grown... A lot, anybody probably in Narrabah would have seen it. It's at Gin's Leap, those huge big grey plants. They're known as a century plant because they live about, well, they live 20 years, not a century. And then they have one life cycle and when they stick up, send up a huge flower stalk they die after that we use agave americana and it's growing wild on our land in pikes lane and wild agave is called silvestre so it's just growing um, rampantly now when we um, harvest it we try and get older bigger plants and we go and chop the leaves off and then the shape looks like a pineapple and it's called a piña and we take that home or often chop it up a bit smaller. Then when it comes home, um, Stephen chops it up further and it's roasted in the oven that he'll probably talk about because he designed this oven. We had a pit and then altered it to an oven. After it roasts for about three days, it's chopped up, it's sort of mashed up in a garden mulcher. And then it's fermented. So basically that really hasn't answered the plant thing, but it's just, it's... Wow. Um,
3: yeah. Still the process is quite involved, something,
0: really. Yeah. As Rosemary said, the agave americana is one of about 30 species they use in Mexico. The probably the most common one is called agave angustifolia, or you'll see it as called espidin on a mezcal drink. And that makes up a lot of the agave spirits cows and others that are done in Mexico. But there's another sort of two or three varieties which make up about the next 20 odd percent. And Americana is one of those. So we're lucky enough that we've got that. And then there's another 25 that make up a few percent. So it's a weed, basically. Well, it's not a weed, it's a garden plant. People brought it over for gardens. A weed so, makes
3: this delicious drink?
0: Yes, in effect.
3: Wow.
0: Um It was brought over for gardens because it's really, the Americana is really tough and particularly west of the ranges you'll see in people's gardens and it's become, it's gone wild because places have been desert, left deserted, whatever, or it's been washed down in creeks and so on. But luckily, while it's a weed, as I said earlier, it's not a noxious weed because it doesn't breed properly, it cannot pollinate in Australia, or it does pollinate, but it cannot get fertilised in Australia because in Mexico it's a bat that does it and there isn't that species of bat in Australia. So all, all the or well, basically all the species of agave in Australia have to just vegetatively reproduce, so the root divisions and stuff that you see, the pups that they call things on some of those um, succulents. So that they're all, in effect, clones of the original plant. So the plants that we've got in our place are in fact, probably clones of the plants that were brought over 100, 120 years ago. So there haven't been much change in them because they're just copies. Whereas if it was, whereas back in Mexico, they've actually selected the plants for better sugar, easier production, and so on. So they, while they've got the same species in Mexico, some of them have been selected. If you use the analogy of wheat, uh, imagine we've got a wheat that's a variety of wheat here that's 100 years old, whereas in Mexico, they're using the same variety, well, not the same variety, but wheat still, but they've selected it and it's now only five or 10 years old, so it'll be more yield and so on. So in a way, we've, we've got the short end of the stick, but it's still a, a quite an interesting stick and produces a quite interesting product. Of course, more
3: than interesting, delicious product.
1: And is it the climate as well, I guess? Is that what Well, our climate is similar to Mexico. Um, It's very harsh and these plants can survive in drought and I almost think they could survive through through fire. They have no pest that that eats them Um, and they're very drought tolerant. Ours struggled a bit last year, but they've come back well. They probably don't like to have incredibly wet feet. Where we went in Mexico last year in Oaxaca, they had an average rainfall per year. Was it only about 11 inches or something mm, like about that? About half
0: of ours, yes.
1: Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so some of our area in Australia is very much like Mexico. So so the, the plants thrive with, with no pests to eat them, no diseases, surviving without rain.
0: Because luckily they can't reproduce, otherwise they would be quite an effective weed in terms of taking over areas because they're tough and they're spiky.
1: (laughs) Oh,
2: So what will they ever run out? Will your supply of agave...
0: Well, we, we need to manage it. We've got, for what we hope to do, we hope to stay as a, in effect, the artisanal type production. And what we've got is certainly many years' worth of supply there, but we'll actually are looking at growing some more and we're probably going to grow. We've actually got a small nursery of the, the Espadin style, the Angustifolia, and we think we'll do a, a grow, actually grow some of the Americana as well. So in our, my back paddock. That'd be pretty ugly. In our back <laughs> paddock. <laughs> Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> What was your idea. Uh, I
1: wanted the espadin. I wanted the Americana in the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and there's there's actually other species in Australia. As I said, there's about thirty species that that do they use for um, mezcal in, in Mexico. And of those, we would have if not all of them, we'd actually have most of them in Australia that have been brought over. And there's a couple of other ones that were interesting to try, but, but the trouble is, you said like even those ones, they're still looking at. Eight to 10 years life cycle, because that's what happened, as Rosemary said earlier. The plants just grow, flower and die. It's only one life cycle. But in the case of Americana, that's about 20 years. In the case of the Espadin, it's about 10 years. So, and there's a few that are longer, but I'm not sure if they're in Australia. There's one that we know of that's 35 years, grows flowers and dies. Um, But what we'd really like is obviously something three or four years because you can get better production and through process. But that's what we've got and that's how it is in Mexico as well.
3: How big is the plant?
0: Well, while there can be different sizes, obviously, different plants, different species of different sizes, the Americana, we've actually harvested it when we've cut off all the leaves and ended up with a piña, as Rosemary said. It's one of them has been 100 kilos, so they can be quite big. And obviously it depends also how wet things are. We don't really want them. Full of moisture in a way because it's less sugars and stuff in the plant and that's what is used for, obviously, the fermentation. After it's cooked, um, as Rosemary said, we we mulch it or chop it up, basically. We've got a couple of different things to do. it to chop it up reasonably finely and then that goes into the fermenter. Now, again, reasonably small fermenters. We do add yeast, whereas they don't have to in Mexico. They use open-top fermenters in Mexico where the background yeast is enough. It's quite a lot. But every man, you know, every village basically does mezcal, so it's quite common, was here there will be yeast, but we don't know if it's the right sort of yeast and so on. So we actually add the yeast. Then it can take anywhere from oh, hopefully four or five days, but it can be up to like a couple of weeks for it to ferment, maybe even three weeks depending on conditions. And from that we then distill it. Now distillation, with everybody, every distiller would know when you distill, it's – The first bit that comes out is called the head and that actually contains a lot of stuff you don't want because the boiling point of some of these things is lower than ethanol and ethanol is the alcohol we drink. It's about 75 degrees Celsius. Some of the other things, including methanol, is a bit lower. So the first stuff that comes out is methanol and other things you don't want. That's the head. And then as, as that time goes on, it'll start, the temperature going up and you start getting more ethanol. But there needs to be a point where you cut it off because some of the things that come out earlier are also the tastes that you want. So you have to judge how much to cut off and then you get what you call the body of the distillation, which is what you want, and then the tail where the ethanol is starting to, to, you've got most of it, it's getting lower and lower. Now the tail you may then put back in for a second distillation with other things, but the head, the body is what you want. And that's where then, then we are, our quality assurance office, a rosemary, basically does the selection, tasting and so on with a... And we double distill most of the things anyway. It's occasionally we'll single distill it because it's really good on the first, but traditionally it's double distilled.
3: You were so clever.
2: It sounds very scientific, doesn't it? What did you do in before you did this, Stephen? Were you some sort of scientist? I've
0: done various things. I mean, I did a bit of work at the research station, worked, worked for cotton in the cotton area, agricultural type stuff, Um, a bit of background in science and so on. But, you know, it's while there's a lot involved with it, it's not, there are issues, but it's not like as hard as it sounds, like because there's a lot of things happening, but they're mostly simple things, if you know what I mean. It's just there's a lot of simple things happening, so it looks more complicated than perhaps it is.
1: But it's also very, very hard work very um labour intensive. We don't have uh things to crush up our agave. So um at the when after it's been fermented to get the fermentation from the from the fermenters to the still, um, there's a thing, uh, what would you call it? It's a fruit, sort of a, a, a squeezing thing that would squeeze the juice out. Well, we don't have one of them, so we just sit in the shed getting handfuls of it out and squeezing it, it it out, and then the liquid goes in the still, and we've got a pile of this stuff called bagasse, which is like a sizal. One day I'd love to make a mud brick tasting room, but we'd need a heck of a or, Lot of it, so, um, <laughs> so it's if we could get a few yeah. things, that would make life a bit easier. But it's very, very labour intensive, <laughs> and it doesn't always work. It depends. It depends a lot on the plant. We could get a plant from a different aspect. It might have been had wet feet. It mightn't have had the green leaves cut off enough. The cooking process is ever so important. But you can't see it because it's all hidden in an oven and you can't stick a skewer in to see if it's like a baked potato that's cooked. So it's just knowledge and experience. This is why over in Mexico, the mezcaleros who are very well respected, they just know, they just intuitively just know when things are done. We've got our roasting down patch, I'd say, about four days and then leave it in the oven so it's just sort of warm for a while and it seems
0: to work quite well. So in Mexico, they've got basically 500 years of tradition of doing this from when the... the, Normally, people think it's the Spanish that introduced distillation to Central and South America, and they're probably correct, but there's a bit of argument about that. But that's so about, say, the 1500s or whatever the date was. So they've actually had 500 years of distillation experience of this agave, whereas we've had basically four or five years of doing it. So there's still things to learn. And the stuff we have in Australia is obviously not designed for the really high fibre content which is why it tends to be labour intensive, that we can't use pumps often because it's just the pumps just can't handle it. Imagine I'm just trying to think of something. It's almost like you put a bale of straw in a bucket of water and then try and pump it. It doesn't really work. You get some of the water out, but the bale of hay would still be sitting there. So it's that sort of level of fibre in the in the stuff. And that's the tradition of it as well. They want the fibre in the in the whole process. So. Mm.
3: The way I follow you guys on Instagram and it does look like hard yakka when I see you going out there to to attack the agave. The hard work that you put into it, it does sound like it's a bit of a backyard setup, but it's definitely not. You guys are such an established brand now. Your bottles look so super and fancy. I'd love to hear a little bit about your backgrounds before you became distillers because so many of us dream about doing things, but very rarely do we actually have the guts to go and achieve them.
1: Well, my other life, as I think half of Narrabah would know, is a music teacher and I've been teaching in three primary schools and after school, look, it has to be over 20 years, possibly even longer. And I also had a five-year stint out at Rowena as well. And I am involved with Black Snake, not as involved as I would like to be. It has to be sort of weekends, after work, things like that, because the distillery is going well, but not well enough that I would consider leaving work. (laughs) You haven't quit your day job yet. I think there'd be anarchy if I did. (laughs) I'm sure there
3: would be. The kids and parents would be beside themselves. What about you, Stephen?
0: Well, Rosemary's supporting me at the moment <laughs> <laughs> because I basically gave up the last job I had. It's almost 12 months ago now to concentrate on this. And, and while we're doing reasonably well, it's still not a great return. It's a hopefully an organic growth, growth process. And in the future, it's improving, obviously, ups and downs with COVID and so on as well. Previously, so My previous job did this I was actually working at the coal mines for a few years, and prior to that, I was working out at the various things that, at the research station. I actually worked as a postie for a little while, just quite amazing on one of those little 125cc bikes. That's a great job. Uh, it's interesting, different. Uh, and prior to that, I worked at, at uh, a cottonseed company for, for quite a few years as in the seed Increase Program, and prior to that I was actually working for the Commonwealth Government.
3: So how did you then rustle up the courage to start this, to leave your other job, Stephen?
0: Well, as I was As I sort of indicated before, I was working in the coal mines and while the people there are good and the money was good, it's not something I found very uh, thrilling or challenging. Well, it was challenging in some ways, but not in ways I like to be challenged, shall we say, but rather the mental challenge and the, the challenge of something different and also a bit more control over your own life, that sort of thing. So, and having some background in agricultural science and so on, and- Seeing, as I said, about our our daughter just indicating that sort of potential, it was worth pursuing. So we then chased that, and then walking through all the processes involved, thought it was worthwhile. And yeah, probably as I said now it's about four years since we started doing this. So, and only uh, about a year ago we actually sort of came out publicly in Narborough at the Nosh. So that was our first public sort of thing in Narabri Nosh here in narrabri
2: Can you tell me? A little bit about NOSH Food and Wine Festival in Narrabri and what it did for your brand.
0: In effect, it was really just to let people in Narrabri know. Now, It was like your launch. It was sort of like the public launch, like coming out in society, I suppose, of the, <laughs> of the Victorian era or whatever. But for the locals in a way because it's well, we're in Narrabri, we're part of Narrabri and so on, but our market for the agave spirits for asp is really more – Probably people like young professionals and so on in Sydney, Melbourne and so on. But there are still people in Narrabai who like it. And we also wanted to be visible for people in Narrabai who do actually like our gin as well. We actually sell a bit of our gin to Narrabai, not so much of our agave spirit, but it's very good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
2: yeah. There is a market, I think, that um, craft spirits has really taken off in Australia recently in the
1: last couple of years. Um, definitely. Uh, when when we were talking about the launch at NOSH, from, from the angle of the social media, um, one of my daughter, my Ali Smith, actually showed me how to set up Instagram. And when we started um, a Black Snake Instagram account, a bar in Sydney called Dulce's Discovered Us and um, got in contact with me and said, are you really making an agave spirit like paddock to bottle? And I said, yes, and they were after some. They offered to buy it, but we thought that we'd send them some. And when they got it and opened it, I still remember the message Um can't exactly say what they said on radio, but they were so blown away with the taste. They bought about six bottles immediately. Then they took us under their wing and gave us an official launch in their bar where they invited people and Stephen spoke and they had a like of videos and stuff of what we were doing. And that was sort of the, the beginning. But it's been slow going. It's slow to get people to believe what we're doing um, and to be willing to to try it. There is a bar in Byron Bay that has bought, oh, it must be almost 30 bottles since discovering us in September. Wow. But then there's other cities that are a bit of a hard nut to, to crack. I guess it's a little bit about
2: educating um, your audience. I mean, when I think tequila, I think a shot, a slammer, you know, with a a lick of salt and a squeeze of lemon. (laughs) Yes. Um, But Black Snake's kind of trying to challenge that view and remark
1: it. Yeah. It's this mezcal, which we can't call or agave spirit, It's so very complex, and each different plant will raise different flavors. Ours tends to be quite vegetative and minerally and very smoky. Uh, I'm not saying it's a love it or leave it, but we've found that the people that know agave spirit or mezcal, and when they come and visit us, and you can see the look on their face and we always sit there thinking, oh, gosh, what are they going to say? And you know they let it swirl around in their mouth and then have a look at the um, glass and we get some incredibly positive comments about it. We had a couple yesterday who turned up on a motorbike from Brisbane and he knew what he was drinking and they must have spent almost an hour talking about it, talking, asking us so many questions. People like that are great. Yeah, You mentioned NOSH, which a few other people that we've interviewed for the podcast
3: have spoken about. From your point of view, describe what NOSH is
1: and I guess what it meant, how it kind of gives businesses a bit of a launch pad. Well, it was amazing. Daryl Timmins helped us a lot to get there. And we were on the NOSH profile, I guess, on their Facebook. So people started to become quite interested, more interested than we ever knew that they <laughs> would be. And it really helped us, particularly with our gin. We did find with the agave spirit, it was a what's this that we're drinking, but the gin was very popular. But on Never Forget the Day, we had, um, us two and one of our daughters, and we were just mobbed. Seriously, people even said weeks after we couldn't even get up to the, to the, um, counter. We were giving free tastings, of course. That was probably a bit alluring as well, but it's a, that sounds great.
0: It seems to be more. It's more focused, I guess, on foods. But there's was also some beers there, and another distiller from from uh, the northwest was there who does a gin, and uh, we our gin and our agave spirit, and it was and the rest were foods, and that's the, I guess the main focus is really the food with the with the spirits and and beers and so on added. Just if I could just go back to your thing about the slammers with tequila. Mm. You're too young for that for a start (laughs) because that's the sort of my generation's youth because, again, we're talking about 40 years ago, tequila was what came to Australia and it was probably fairly cheap and fairly nasty. So that's where that tradition started.
2: I feel like it comes out at the end of the night uh, when you
0: shouldn't be drinking anymore. But but nowadays, well, you can still get rubbish in anything, of course, but there's some good spirits coming in from from Mexico and so on, the tequilas and mezcals. And, and we're competing with that and we're at that end of the market trying to be the higher profile of good quality stuff. We don't put a dead scorpion or whatever in it, anything like that, because <laughs> we don't have to have a gimmick. It's the taste of the spirit itself.
2: Yeah, it's more a refined. It is. It's a <laughs> sophisticated drink. sophisticated exactly. drink. Was it intimidating taking on the Mexicans? With their ancient, <laughs> with their ancient processes I, and their established yeah. um,
1: spirit, we didn't exactly think of it like that. But it's funny you should mention intimidating. We spent about a fortnight in Oaxaca at the end of January. Got back just before COVID. And we stayed in a lovely hotel in Oaxaca, not in the high end whatsoever, and and a man who we had been put in contact with took us around many palenques, so we were able to learn things and probably do things that other people might not be allowed to because they actually supported the idea that we were doing this. And then on the last day, we had bought three bottles of our agave spirit. And the very last day, as we were leaving the hotel and we settled our bill, we produced our bottle one of them to give to the people because they had a mezcal bar within the hotel we sort of almost expected to be rejected oh it was a bit like that but they were amazed and they um not sure they they opened it then but they got so excited about it we ended up getting a photo later the man who owned the mezcal bar had a mexican flag and an australian flag and our bottle of of asp that he put on on his instagram then we left a bottle with the man who took us around and he really liked it. And then another lady that we met at a Palenka who used to work is a sommelier and she worked in Adelaide Wines for a while and was back trying to help these mezcaleros get their wonderful spirit out to people. Um, because they don't have social media. In fact, it's such a poor lifestyle. It's very, very sad. Anyway, she ended up, we gave her a bottle as well, and she gave us incredible feedback about it as as well. So they welcomed it. Yes, and we've been sort of asked if we can send it to America, but it's difficult and we don't produce that amount yet. We've also been approached to... um, by a Chinese man who wanted to take it into Japan. But we haven't got that far yet either.
3: Wow. I like that they've embraced you and there's not a Mexican standoff to put a pun in (laughs) there. Um, Have you received awards for what you're doing? Have you found that it's been well-received at a local
1: level just because I guess you're having a crack at something that's a bit different? Well, we have entered in one competition somewhat reluctantly, but we thought we'd give it a go to enter in the Australian Craft Distilled Spirits Awards that's attached to the uh, Melbourne Royal Show and the and the awards were postponed and postponed and we got notified the other day that we got a bronze Congratulations. for our category for one of our agave spirits. A very small batch, but it's nice to have a bronze on our first entry. It's fabulous.
3: But it has been embraced, I guess, also. Have you found what you're doing has been embraced at a local level
1: as well, like with local businesses Definitely. here? Um, look, we haven't. I think because we're both busy and we don't get out as much as we would like to, but um, we have had some appreciation for the fact that we have had visitors to the distillery who've come especially a distance to see us. And in turn, they've stayed in a motel for two nights. I guess they've had breakfast at a cafe and it all helps the community. Since we put the sign out and became an open cellar door, there's a lot of people that are saying that they're going to come. People are interested in seeing our our process as, as well.
0: We've also, in terms of local businesses supporting us all, or local people, I guess, supporting us. The, the local paper, the courier has been very supportive. Even things like, because there's a fairly high regulations involved in this, because we're licensed and so on. But the police, the local government, they've all been quite supportive. Amazing. Obviously not waiving regulations or anything, but trying to be as supportive within the guidelines as they can. So which is, which is great. It's all you can expect. We haven't, we don't aim to sell a lot of product locally because it's set out. Target audience really is, um, in, probably in the metropolitan areas. I mean, that's just the way it is. But we still have people locally buy it, come out and see us. Some people just, just call in and have a try. Some like it, some don't. Because again, it's an acquired taste and It's different to what other things people have had in terms of the agave spirit. Yeah, we've sold uh, some to some of the hotels here and, and people here, people. Buy it too for gifts locally, and even send it away. So
3: we love it. Katie India, introduced me to it um, with my first black snake try. You mentioned the police. I guess you can't just whip up alcohol.
0: No, it's actually <laughs> distillation. You, you can't dis- distill like people make beer and stuff in their Moonshine. Own home. That's fine. Moonshine. We don't do moonshine, and moonshine is illegal by nature. Um, I, my understanding is you cannot even make distillations for your own personal use. You can do, you can distill water if you want pure water, you can do oils if you want to. So you may own a a distill, but of course you would not be distilling a spirit from it. So it is regulated and liquor and gaming is the New South Wales one and each state is a bit different as well.
2: Just speaking, just touching on um, distilling other things, when COVID hit, you guys adapted and moved into another area of distilling um, hand sanitizer. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Well, I guess the hand sanitizer. Many, many small distilleries did it because the demand was there. It got such a high level, and it was so little available that, that we felt it was a community need as much as anything as a, as, as a business opportunity. More the community need because um, I, we wouldn't have made a huge amount out of it. But it was the demand was there. So yes, we we put our operation, which is only small, into producing hand sanitizer, and. Um, mainly for the local area but we were actually getting calls from Tamworth and Inverell and we actually supplied some to Gunnedah as well.
3: Rosemary you're the chief taster yes, I gather I that's am. part of your role. We were keen to know what What's the best thing to drink the different spirits that you produce with? I guess how do you? Me personally. What
1: well, yeah, what yeah. would you
3: advise us? If we were having some people over for dinner or lunch, oh, what goodness. should we whip up? Give us a little insight into well, I'm what. I'm not
1: very good on cocktails. I've been a more straight spirits drinker. I really like the reposado that we have um, produced from aging one of our agave spirits in two um, ex-bourbon barrels. So it gets a yellow tinge. and I mean, nearly everybody likes an, an aged spirit, I think anyway, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's like a mixture of a good Scotch, and finishing with the taste of our our smoky agave spirit. That's more an after-dinner. But one of my favourite ones was when we were in Oaxaca, I discovered this drink called a Petuga. And a Petuga is made on a third distillation where the mezcalero will get a... uh, He has his own secret... Uh, ingredients of seasonal fruits, spices, and nuts, and he'll put them in into on the third distillation. And inside the still, they will suspend a clean raw chicken breast. And as wow. and as the third distillation is happening, the vapors will cook the chicken and give it add some protein to the to their spirit. And I loved it so much. I wanted to make one and we had some angustifolia. And because our labels say agave americana, it was sitting, you know, in a big carboy in the kitchen. I said, I'm going to use that and make some patuga. So I made up my own ingredients and spices and everything and got a chicken and hung it in the, in the still. <laughs> and it's absolutely amazing. And I, Well, I personally like it, probably not for the vegans which is discovered because it's got chicken in it, but that's one of my favourite. Imagine having a fruity-infused agave spirit. And how do you drink it? Do you just straight? I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. Um We've had some people put a tiny ice block in their nip of agave spirit, and if that's what they want to do, that's fine. There's a lot of cocktails. Anything you do with tequila, you could do with agave spirit, like a Margarita, for instance. A Paloma is the most common one that's got grapefruit juice and and soda water, a Negroni, an old-fashioned. We have a bar in Sydney. I can't think what the name of it is, but he made up a Negroni and called it. No, he made up an old fashioned and put it on his Instagram and called it the Narrabri Old Fashioned because he used our agave spirit. That's so cool! You're yeah. taking us to the world. <laughs> yeah, it's great. We've
0: got a few a few recipes on our website and the names of about another thirty because some of the names are really really catchy I can't think of many offhand except the tequila mockingbird is one. <laughs> and that's yeah, that's actually quite a good good recipe as well. But there's there's often some interesting names. Have a look at have a look on our website see some interesting names because they, the names themselves are worth I love a often. word
3: pun. They <laughs> suck me in. Well why did you come up with the name black snake?
0: Well essentially I wanted something Australian because well we are Australian and uh, the, the point of difference, I guess, about us is we're Australian, Australian distillery, and of course, growing up there was always snake stories. Um, my parents were of the era that you know any snake that's not dead is is, is wrong. There's something wrong; <laughs> should be dead. Whereas I'm reasonably positive about snakes. Rosemary's not so positive about snakes. So I wanted to an Australian <laughs> name, and but some of the animal things just seemed a bit uh, didn't sort of fit with the image the, you know, wombat or, or whatever. So that just did not work for me. So it came with black snake. And also it's I've been told that it's also one of the minor animals of the Camilla totem. Um so in a way oh. it can tie in with our local our local people as well. So it's sort of a double thing. And of course, yeah, this snake with black snake distillery, it just seems to, to work.
2: It works. It's very fitting. It is. Um could you just tell us just touch on if people um do want to come out to your cellar door, um, tell us a little bit about how do they get there, where are you located, how far out of Narrabri, and a little bit about um, the beautiful area that you are situated because it is it is really a dream location, isn't it? It's, it's a beautiful spot in the foothills of Mount Capita there yes. um, and a great um, stopover if people are
1: going up to visit the National Park. Yes, yes. Our, our sign is quite handy, but we're... Um, 6.4 kilometres from the turn turnoff on the right-hand side as you go out, and if our A-frame sign is out on the road, then we're then we're open no matter what we're doing. At this point, we still just love the idea of people coming out and. Absolutely. And spreading the word, yeah. you know, if people who've come from from Armidale recently and, and Brisbane, they're going to go home and they're going to tell people, and these people yesterday bought two bottles, and they will take them and they'll show people. So and it gets No,
0: on them. a motorbike. <laughs> so yeah. They had, they, had, they had arguments about whether they could have one or two about fitting it in the motorbike. <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> but one of the advantages of us, I guess Capitar, the national park, is is really good and people should visit it obviously and they'll often well the idea is they'll see us on the way out and visit us on the way back but of course there's only the two of us so if we have to do other things and we're not always open but if the signs out there we're open so that's that's basically it we try to be sort of available generally it's generally seven days a week but sort of about ten to five or something like that but but we have things to do, like, I have to go and get plants or whatever. And if Rosemary's working elsewhere and so on, so things like that.
3: Describe the environment and the landscape. What are the surrounds of where you are?
0: Well, we, we're sort of on the foothills of the mountains. So Australia is not known for dramatic mountain ranges, really. But I guess the Nandawars, where we are, is one of the more dramatic in Australia, perhaps not the most dramatic, but more. They rise up quite well. So they're in our background. It's a as a good landscape for us, the, and the the creek that runs down near is called Bullawal Creek, that's actually on the edge of our property where we we have the agave, that's one of the fastest-running creeks in Australia. And as you're probably aware, it drops from Capital, which is fairly high, to the rivers, a drop of, I'll say this in the old measure, it's, over, it's about 4,000 feet in a relatively short distance. So in that sense, it's one of the steepest in a, in Australia, It's um, but it's intermittent. The, the landscape around, well, it's become a little bit more hobby farmish around the area. So there's a bit more population than in my younger days when, when we could only see the lights of one house when I was a child, but we see many now. Um, but yes, it's, it's just a uh, nice rural
3: being located in such beautiful surrounds and I know that you're both so busy doing more than one um, more than one job as a couple do you two often just sit and
1: have a drink and enjoy life in the part of the world that that you live in well we do spend a lot of time in a distillery together and I did put up a photo on Instagram not that long ago, a bit bit of a um, joke. I think it was a Friday night. It it went quite late and we were squeezing out the agave fibre and I think we we had a drink each and we've got a bucket in, in between us and I thought, you know, who else would do this to the late at night squeezing this stuff out? And, you know, we do spend like a bit of time together. The future of black snake, what does it
0: look like or what are your plans? This is an interesting question yeah. because we've. I guess we don't point. have hard and fast rules or ideas of where we're going, but the background is that we obviously want to be busy and make a reasonable living for ourselves, but maintain the traditional approach to what we're doing. And not if we have high demand, we we, we will run out of product, not just producing it because we won't go to industrial type thing because we want to maintain that, that tradition from Mexico. What the future of us, one, if we do do reasonably well and are making a reasonable amount of money, we'll actually try to do some improvements to the system itself so that, again, to reduce the labour that we've got to do because we're all getting older and, and things like that. But there'll be issues we're exploring, like whether whether there are overseas, more overseas markets or whether the markets in Australia will be enough for us. As Rosemary said earlier, there's a few inquiries, constant inquiries, though not not lately, I guess, from the United States because they're very keen on on the mezcals from, from Mexico and so they're interested in the agave spirit of ours. And just whether we explore other options external to Australia, but Australia is still very much untapped because while people know about mezcals, it's really... Not that many people know that much about it. You'll find, like even in Arab, you'll find someone who knows a lot about it unexpectedly and then the next 20 people you have to then go back and explain what it is and so on. So there's a lot of untapped potential in Australia, whether it's in a way the new gin, I guess, because as I said, it's very popular in the United States and Australia tends to follow the United States lead and whether it's three years or five years or whatever down the track, it's... um, because many people are finding it, many particularly young professionals looking for alternatives, which is why I say the market at the moment is probably like Sydney, Melbourne, maybe Brisbane and Adelaide and so on. Because the young professionals are looking for something different. And I guess following that lead from the United States and then whether what happens from there, we don't know. So in a way, it's a bit of an unexplored future. We'll discover it and make it up as we go along.
1: We certainly would like to sell more and we'd certainly like to more bars to know of us, but one thing I, that I find being a social media person is when they see photos of us harvesting it and the hard back-breaking work and how... We are keeping so much in the Mexican tradition. We get that. How cool is that so often? How good are you guys for doing that? Which is kind of nice. It is flattering. But personally, look, it would be great to make lots of money. But if we started to go up the avenue of industrial or amazing bottles and marketing pages in the Sydney Morning Hill, it wouldn't be us. It wouldn't be keeping with the tradition that we are trying to do. It's small and it's genuine and it's a good product. And if we did change that that slant and get a huge distillery and thousands of fermenters, that that's not right for Black Snake. It loses the heart of yes. Black Snake.
0: Yeah. yeah. We, so we basically want to maintain what, what you would say is artisanal uh, focus of it and and I guess part of our, our not exactly limitation but something which we haven't touched on at all is that we're all solar powered okay. and we don't have we're not on anything. so everything we do is within that trying to renewable type ideas as well.
2: I love that I love that you're bringing that traditional and ancient mm-hmm. culture of Mexican culture
3: infusion into Narrabri. <music> In our final segment, we've been asking each of our guests if you were going to send a postcard from the Narrabri region. Is there something that's a standout photo that you would choose to go on the front? I guess a
1: lot of people say Capita, but I really like that old bridge going to Buller Creek when there's water running. It doesn't happen very very often, but it's a really old bridge and looking up towards the mountains. That's a really nice scene. Beautiful. What about you, Stephen?
0: Well, as Rosemary said, everybody talks about captain in a way. I would like those Nandoor ranges in the background. I would like a telescope, radio telescope in the foreground, and a bottle of black snake.
3: <laughs> <laughs> of course. Are there any tips? Other than, of course, visiting Black Snake, any must-sees in the Narrabri
1: region? Uh, well, there is, of course, Mount Capita, Piliger Pottery. Now, there's another one that some people mentioned that we hadn't even heard oh, of.
0: Oh, near Dariah Forest, the um,
1: uh Sculptures, you know? the Sculpture. turkey sculptures. Yeah. Which
0: we actually haven't been to. Which the Aboriginal should...
1: site, yeah, the yeah, Daria. Was, yeah. Yes, we hadn't heard of it. One of our people that came in told us about it.
0: There's quite a few things. And Narrabri is actually fairly lucky. There's quite a few things. I mean, if you take the Narrabri Shire as a whole, not just Narrabri as well. I mean, the artesian bores, the sawn rocks, the, the telescope, as I said. There's there's a lot of things in Narrabri. And, of course, the cotton industry itself, there's things with that. So yeah, there's quite a lot of things in Narrabri that's worth seeing. Narrabri is one of the destination points of a tourist thing rather than just a through a through traffic.
3: Yeah, it's a great spot. I guess that's why we all live here. Well, it's been great to have you on and to try some black snake while we've been chatting. We managed to get through. It's fabulous. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. And a big thank you to you too for listening to the Bush Wanderlust podcast. We can't wait to welcome you to the Narrabri region soon. A big thanks also to our sponsor, the Narrabri Region Visitor Information Centre. The team there has a treasure trove of knowledge about all things Narrabri, from the pink slug to the Yowie and more. So call in or head over to www.visitnarrabri.com.au or follow the Narrabri Region on social media or the Bush Wanderlust podcast. Catch you next time.